pray. Father, we do thank you we can be here today and I pray as we look at your word that you would guide us and just open it to us so that you would speak into our hearts and minds about your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me start with a question uh, as we kick off. We're looking today at Jesus and communion. And you've just heard that reading of Jesus and the Last Supper. And the question I want to start with is, how do you show someone that you love them? Uh, How do you keep remembering that? Now, to illustrate how one of our former members, um, James Well, uh, demonstrated his love for Sky, let me read this story. Now, if you don't know James and Sky, they were here many years. They've gone to Vancouver. Uh, There's a special school there with the Arrowsmith program to help one of their children uh, with some disabilities, and it's been uh, a big journey. And so James, for the 10th anniversary, did this. And this is off Facebook if you want to read it. Um, And Sky was quite happy for it to be shared. And this is Sky writing. So last week was the big decade of marriage love fest with the hunkiest spunk in Vancouver. Now that's just how Sky writes. Many of you know my love of diamonds is great and glorious. Each of the rings adorning my pudgy little digits tells a story usually about my mother. Now JW, that's James, the husband, has noticed over the years me holding a ring and sharing a story of when my dad bought it for mum and our girls asking more about where I bought my rings, the history and the story that they tell and the pictures it paints of their poppy rod and honey, not a mum. And they're so real. Or of a lifetime uh, part of my life or a 21st or some trip to Turkey, a great aunt or a great grandmother, and their stories spill out as the girls hold the rings. I remember as a girl doing the same and as an adult holding mum's hand and asking her to tell me the story once more of when dad bought the jade silver ring. The fact that one measly diamond costs as much as a longboard, James Keen longboarder, quite a few boards, and possibly far more if you rule out shopping at Proud's, has never made any sense to my beloved. But then watching his girls and the stories unfold, he thought, Those rings have been worn by my mother and daughter and those are not rocks, they're stories of love. And so for the past two years, two years, now sorry guys for telling this story tonight, today, my darling husband put aside a little each week so that on our 10th he could let me know we could go shopping to buy a special ring to remember this time. He told me his reasons over dinner last week and in between sobbing I squeezed his hand. It will be our Canadian ring. So we went to the shops and chose this one. And JW picked it up yesterday Eve, three stones, one for each precious child we've been blessed with and a reminder for the past, the present and the future. They're Canadian diamonds and maybe someday our babies will be able to tell their stories of Canada of 10 years and the day when Dad bought Mum a special ring. JW, big love, and not because of the bling, but the story behind it. Now the uh, story did finish with these words. And just to be transparent, we are at this moment arguing about who will take out the garbage in the dark and the cold. Just keeping it real. Sky. Now, we have our 21st wedding anniversary in three months. No pressure, Bruce. I read it knowing that. Now, why do I read that? Well, if you get nothing out of today's message, uh, I want to speak about communion. Get this. The Lord's Supper, or communion is Jesus' tangible way of giving us something as a reminder that he loves us 
and will return for us. Now, just like James has given this ring to Skye, and a very romantic story, as a token of his love, and as Skye said, it's actually not the bling, it's the story behind it that is the significance. Communion is this tangible expression that has this incredible story behind it of God's love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants us to know that. And that's why he's given it. Now, we're at page 1043. If you've got your uh, Bibles there, uh, we want to look at this story today and ask the question, what is communion all about? Now, that's the famous picture of the Last Supper that's up there. And this is the event that we've got before us, the Last Supper of the Lord Jesus. And I want to just go through, um, first of all, the context for it because it's when you start to understand the context of the story of the Last Supper that you start to see the meaning come off the page. And verse 1 of Luke 22 uh, reads this, Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. Now the Passover meal uh, is a very, very significant meal that was in Israel's history. And the meal was first celebrated, if you're not aware, on the night when Moses led the people out of Egypt with the Exodus. And the story of the book of Exodus is really a story about who is God. Is it Pharaoh with his enchanters and spiritual powers? In a sense, is he the God of this world who runs this world? And there's no doubt he thought that. Or is there another God which was Yahweh, the God of Israel? And the ten plagues that come were a demonstration that it is God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, We know him as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who rules this world. The last of the ten plagues was really a plague of judgment. Israel um, were ready to flee, but Egypt resisted and Pharaoh in particular hardened his heart to God and the last statement was a statement of judgment and death that would come upon the people of Egypt. The only people who would be spared would be those who covered their door frames with the blood of an unblemished lamb. And the meal was first celebrated the night before Israel escaped Egypt when God passed over as he brought judgment on the people of the land as the angel of death flew over every house. And the Israelites covered their house doors with blood as a symbol that death had already occurred and they were passed over and they had to have an unblemished perfect lamb to have its blood covering the doorframe and that's where you get the name the Passover. God passed over them and didn't bring judgment and death. They also ate a special meal And they're not allowed to have, and it's still true today for conservative Jews who celebrate the Passover, any what's called shemets. Um, Now, we think often of leaven or, if I can say yeast, but it's broader than that. It's any leaven type of food and there's numbers of grains they can't have. And even in mixing up flour and water, today you can't let it sit for more than 18 minutes. How they get that, I'm not quite sure. Uh, But you can't let things start to ferment if you're cooking. And so they don't have anything with shemets. They get rid of it in the house, they sell it off. And what they eat is matzah, which is a flat, unleavened bread. 
And they did that because, you see, they were to be ready to flee and run. They couldn't waste time baking. And the highlight of the Passover was a special meal that would be celebrated. And this festival happens over a number of days today, um, but at the centre of it is a special meal called the Seder, and it's a 15-step family-orientated tradition that's got lots of rituals in it. Now, it's interesting. They eat matzah, they eat bitter herbs, um, they eat lamb, etc., etc., and there's numbers of cups. Now, it's interesting, when we have the Lord's Supper and Communion, uh, we just have one cup. Now, you'll notice in the reading, if you listen closely, that there's actually two cups that are referred to by Jesus in the Last Supper. There's one that is before the meal, there's then the bread, and then there's another cup after the meal. There actually would have been another two at either end. First, second, before the meal, third, after the meal, fourth to conclude. Um, we just have one cup. I'll explain the significance of that in a moment. But this is the context. The Last Supper commemorates and remembers. And you see there would be a liturgy, which is just, if I can say, a formal telling of material that described in detail the exodus of God's people from Egypt. And they read that out and they read it out to remember who they are as God's people how they were formed and how God saved them. And so part and parcel was there was eating, there was drinking, there was celebrating and there's remembering going on of how God passed over them in judgment and did not bring the angel of death to their family. Now the second thing we note as the story begins is the growing conflict and the nearness of the cross. And so this Last Supper is literally celebrated hours before Jesus is about to be crucified. And I'll read to you from verse 2. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. For they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. Now there's a whole sermon just in that one verse, how Satan could enter Judas. But the reality, if I can put it in simple terms, is under the influence of the devil, Judas sells his soul for a few coins. And the one that he has followed and pledged his life to, he now abandons and is a traitor. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. And they were delighted and agreed to give him money. And you see, for a number of years now, they had wanted to kill him. And finally, they're going to get the chance to lay their grubby hands on him and put him to death. And Judas, for a small amount of money, has consented. And it says in verse 6, he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Well, we'll read on in the next couple of weeks about the reality of that happening. And so you've got the last supper that commemorates the rescue of God's people where God passed over those houses covered with the blood of an unblemished land. You have another, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we know as the Lamb of God, about to be sacrificed. And these two things are colliding as we come to this narrative. And so Jesus says to them, um, now's the time to go and make preparations. If you look at verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat this Passover. And so they're about to enjoy eating this meal and celebrating with lamb the salvation God had brought the people of God so many years ago. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, 
Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So Jesus has made the preparations. He's got it all organised. The disciples go ahead. They get the room ready and then they go up. And they left and they found things just as Jesus had found them so they prepared the Passover. Verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And so the Passover meal begins. And he said to them, have I not eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer? He knows he's about to die very shortly. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. And so what is communion all about? Um, And I thought I just wanted to stop today and just reflect on this. Uh, The first thing to note is this. Um, It is a fulfilment of the Passover. And you see those important words there. I will not eat it until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. The way God had saved people and brought people into his family in the Old Testament was symbolised in what happened in Egypt. He saved them by his grace as he passed over in judgement. And a lamb, a physical lamb, was sacrificed to bring forgiveness of sins and protection. That will now find fulfilment in what the Lord Jesus is about to do in dying on the cross. And what we call the Lord's Supper is a fulfilment of the Last Supper and the Passover meal. And so we're actually going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today because we stand in this great tradition of people who have enjoyed this meal and celebrated together that God is a God who passes over us and brings friendship and salvation. Now the Lord Jesus, uh, the Lord's Supper reminds us, secondly, about what Jesus has done. And the first thing is, it reminds us that we're united as a body. Now when he took the first cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. And so the first cup, or it was the second cup of the meal, uh, but the first one referred to as Luke, uh, they take the cup and they pass it round and they all drink out of the common cup. Now some Christians through history have said, well for that reason when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, you should just have one cup. You shouldn't have individual cups. Now we do both here, we have a common cup, we use at 8 o'clock, but I don't think there's a necessity to do that. Uh, What is significant is I think the meaning of what Jesus is doing. Um, There is a unity with followers of the Lord Jesus that has been recognised when we celebrate communion and as they were celebrating the Last Supper, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, This is a community event. And that's what Paul says, when you come together. A communion is not a private thing that you have, if I can say, with a minister off by yourself. Now, we do do some home communions. And the way I would always encourage that to be done is if someone can't come here for fellowship and communion and to join in the Lord's Supper, then we will go to them. Because the body of Christ, the church, is being recognised in the Lord's Supper. Um, You see, one of the things that we're saying today is not just individually, I follow Jesus. Uh, We've had a family stand up and say, I follow Jesus. We're actually saying together as a church group, we follow Christ. And not just follow Christ, we are one in him. Now, how lovely to have Dave from Burundi up here. I can't pronounce Dave's surname, so I'm not going to try. But uh, we're recognising a reality that from every nation, tribe and tongue, we are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And St Matthew's, is a very international congregation. We have people from across the world who come and join here um, and we find our unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are one and that's why, firstly, 
uh, the meal is so significant. Jesus unites us in his body. The second thing is Jesus has given his life for us. Now I want you to think about this, uh, for those who are familiar with uh, communion. Um, what are the words that you hear said to you when you receive the bread? So when the bread is given out, one phrase I often hear here is this, and I don't want to be down on people who say it, uh, it's just not in the Bible. Um, the body of Christ broken for you. Who said that phrase? A few people. Uh, you won't find that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, you'll find the opposite. Uh, in John's Gospel, it says when they went to break his legs, they didn't to fulfil the prophecy that there would be no bone broken in his body. Uh, Jesus' body was not broken. That's not what we are remembering when we have the bread. Have a look with me at the uh, verse on the screen there, verse 19 in chapter 22. Jesus said this, He took the bread, he gave thanks and he broke it. And this is where the words often get confused. So he breaks the bread. Why? Because he's got to pass it out. There's a, if I can say, a practical reason for that. And he gives it to them saying, this is my body given for you. And so what Jesus is symbolising here is that his body is given to us. Now, just think with me about that. What does it mean that Jesus' body is given for us? There are two very important exchanges that take place when a person becomes a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Something is given to us and something is taken from us. What is firstly given to us is Christ's body, or if I can put it this way, his life. You see, the bread symbolises the fact that we have life in the Lord Jesus Christ and his life is given to you. Um, let me reflect on myself. I'm a broken sinful person. Um, one of the things my kids do is tell, ask me this question, tell me the worst thing you've ever done. I don't know if your kids, if you've got kids, ask you that question. I personally do not want to tell them. Uh, there's stuff from my past that I'm very ashamed of. And I know what kids are like, there's just kind of this intrigue. Uh, it's just, I don't think it's helpful for them. Um, they know I used to drink and get drunk and all that sort of stuff, but there's other stuff I did which I just honestly would rather forget about. And you see, when Jesus says, take this bread, my body is given for you, his life is given to you. His unbroken, perfect life. You receive his life. You receive his perfect obedience. You receive his righteousness. It's incredible. Uh, none of us can actually stand before God by ourselves. Uh, the great myth that is commonly held and believed by so many people is, I will be good enough for God when I get there. I don't need this Jesus stuff. I hate to shatter your reality. If you hold that belief, you won't be. None of us are actually good enough for God. None of us. All of us fail him. All of us are broken. We might pretend we're not, but the reality is we are. And the one who knows it the best is not us, it's actually God. 
And he says, all of us have fallen short of his standards. We've sinned. And the incredible thing is, Jesus knows that and gives us his life. Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And that's the incredible, wonderful, beautiful thing about the gospel. We get recreated in him. And the beautiful thing about the church is we are a body of people who are being recreated in him. We are one in him. And so as you take the bread today and eat it, remember you've been given life through the Lord Jesus Christ and it's no longer I that live but Christ in me with all of his life and love and perfect righteousness. It's given to us as a gift. And you see what Jesus does is he says, actually what I'm going to take from you and put upon myself and take to the cross is your sin and the death and judgment that you deserve. It is the great exchange. That's what happens when a person becomes a follower of the Lord Jesus and says, I follow you, I give you my life. We are given life in Christ and our sin is taken away and nailed on a cross. Jesus gives us life, we remember that. And his blood was shed for us. You see, in the Passover meal, which this is fulfilling, the cup taken after supper was the third cup. And this was the cup that was drunk after they'd eaten the lamb and the bitter herbs. And it reminded them that the blood of an innocent lamb protected them from God's judgment and the angel of death. And so we read Jesus as he says he is fulfilling this. In the same way after supper he took the cup and he said to them, this cup is the new covenant, the new way of relating to God. And it's now in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, it's a very striking phrase. They do not know about the cross at this point. And he's saying, actually, this cup is actually now going to symbolise me and what I'm about to do for you, and my blood is going to be poured out for you, which it was on the cross, literally. A spear in his side. And blood was shed. Now, all through the Old Testament, the New Testament, when blood is talked about, the predominant theme is death. Blood is a symbol of death. Blood is shed when someone or something has died. Blood is shed to bring forgiveness of sins with a sacrificial animal. And the blood covered the altar. Blood was shed finally by the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that fulfilled all that, in a way that there would no more need for blood to be shed. He has died once for all sin. And he said, if you take this cup and drink it, remember, my blood is poured out for you. And so when we celebrate communion, we are remembering these two incredibly powerful and beautiful things that are at the heart of the Christian message. There is life in the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us life. And secondly, he takes away death and judgment because he takes away our sin. And he bore that in his body on the cross. Now here's the staggering thing. Um, I want you to ask yourself the question. Um, what word most affected you in that paragraph that we've read or that narrative that we've read? What, what word jumped off the page at you as you read through this story of the Last Supper? I'll tell you the one that 
increasingly affects me. It's in the section where he talks about his body given in verse 19. And he says these words, do this in remembrance of me. And I want you to think about this in two ways. You see, what is he saying? He's saying, I I want you to eat this in the future and know something profound. I want you to remember as you eat bread and as you drink wine or or juice, it doesn't have to be alcoholic wine to, if I can say, um, do this properly. I want you to remember that I love you. I want you to remember that God loves you. I want you to remember that I give you life and I take your sin away and that you are precious to me. Now, you think about James and his beautiful ring he's given to Sky. Is that not what he is doing? The ring is just a costly, and I'm sure very costly, symbol of his love for his dear wife. And he doesn't want her to forget that. In fact, he wants not just the children to know that, but their children's children, that their father, that their grandfather love their wife. And you see, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he wants us to remember him and that he loves you and has given his life for you. Broken, lost, sinful us. We're loved. And secondly, he doesn't want us to forget that. And I think that's staggering that he says, remember me. Because I take it there is the reality that we could forget what is at the heart of reality and the heart of our faith, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we celebrate every month so that we keep remembering what's at the heart of our faith. It's about a God who loves us and has saved us all by grace and none of our own work and it comes through his son dying. And friends, we must never forget that. We must never forget it. This is the heart of the Christian faith. And so I'm going to stop here and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. And friends, if you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ yet today, maybe today is the day where you say, actually, I want him. Um, I want to know God and I want to be part of his family. And it's very simple in terms of how you do that, though it will profoundly affect you for the rest of your life. You take hold of the Lord Jesus and you say, I want you, I want to serve you, here is my life, take me. And he says, well, here is my life I give to you and here is forgiveness that I give to you as I take your sin away. And you see, as we eat and as we drink, it's a symbol of the fact that actually we trust that our life comes from God in the Lord Jesus. We trust that his blood has forgiven our sins and we receive that every time we eat and there's this incredible, if I can say, spiritual reality. Uh, This does not turn into the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. It reminds us of the body and the life and the blood of the Lord Jesus and what he's done. So if I can invite up our helpers, we're going to do a